0: My name is John Chafee. I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways in which I try to do something good with that education. This is Begin Again. So if you are looking for a nuanced or interesting take on the Jesus tradition and all of its wisdom and all of its perplexity and mystery, then you found the right place. sincerely hope that this helps you to rethink some things to maybe grow in your own way for health and holiness for your benefit and for the benefit of those around you so again welcome to begin again yeah okay so it's been a while since i've done one that's just me but hopefully that's okay. I hope you've enjoyed some of the interviews that I've been doing over the past couple months. But uh, I have a few things, just uh, I guess some news, and then I want to share with you something that I learned actually relatively recently, all right? So this one is called uh, From Radio to TV to the Internet. And again, that's I'm gonna share about that in just a little bit, something that I've been learning. But I want to say, A quick thank you to Brandywine Valley Baptist Church, who there might be some people listening to this. Uh, Thank you so much. You guys invited me down to teach uh, four Sunday school classes over the past uh, couple weeks. And it was so fun because that was like the largest um, gathering of people I've been around in a while. And it was so fun to do my usual thing with a giant whiteboard and to share thoughts and ideas and stick figures to help explain things. (laughs) But uh, it was so fun and uh, I really got a lot of energy out of that, so thanks. But what was also cool about that was that one of those classes, I was kind of still workshopping something because in two Fridays, I'm going out on a limb and doing my very own event. This one's called Reconsidering Everything. And if you were in that class at Brandywine uh, Valley Baptist, you would know, oh, that he's going to talk about that, the ladder, the worldviews. And so on two Fridays, I rented out a local coffee shop to talk through how people grow through different worldviews throughout their entire life and how. In some sense, from their own perspective, everyone's right about how they see the world. And that's why it's so important to understand what are the different kinds of worldviews that people might have, even if they're living in the same neighborhood, you know? So I'm going to be sharing that, and uh, I hope that it can become a regular thing. I already have ideas for a second one to maybe do in August, so I'm, I'm rather looking forward to that. So if you haven't heard anything about it, just go ahead uh, and look at my social media stuff because I put up some information about that there. And I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to say too much, but I've been thinking about this for a couple years. And uh, I think it's finally come to a point of being ready to share and let it be really cool. All right. So let's get into this other thing, though. And uh, this one, like I said, is called from radio to TV to the internet. And uh, there's this, there's this idea, okay, there's this idea that every time there's a new technology invented, uh, humanity has to move forward. Humanity can try to live in the old world before that technology was invented but more and more people will give in to the new technology. And let's go way back. Okay, let's think about the course of human history. Fire. <laughs> the invention of fire did many things, you know. What it did was probably shift a lot of people from eating one type of food into eating another type of food that maybe you have to cook, such as raw meat, right? Or perhaps have more sophisticated um, culinary recipes, of course. But you know what? You also then had bread. Yeah, <laughs> did you ever think about it? You couldn't have mac and cheese without controlled heat. So humanity took a step forward with that invention and uh, I'm not sure what was invented first, fire or the wheel, but the wheel. There is a uh, previous life to the wheel. Then there is life after the wheel. And then you move forward a little bit more. And then you go down through the centuries. And with every new technology, there's early adopters. And then there's the bulk of adopters. And then there's the people that come onto it late. Could you imagine being the last person on earth to say, oh, the wheel is kind of (laughs) cool? Or what about the printing press? Yeah, because before that, or we could even go before that, let's say codexes. When people shifted from writing on scrolls to writing in books, they were able to create the very first codexes. And so literacy became a very powerful thing for a lot of people. And so scribes and scholars and leaders would go and learn how to read, but not everybody needed to learn how to read. But that's why the printing press was so powerful. Because all of a sudden, the creation of literature was no longer dependent on somebody handwriting a single copy of one book at a time. And instead, you could print 50 pages of this book, and then another 50 pages, another 50 pages, another 50 pages, and all of a sudden, literature in the 1500s with the um, Gutenberg Press all of a sudden exploded. And so that, that caused a shift in human history when, at least in the West, people started recognizing the availability of literacy because all of a sudden... The production of books just skyrocketed, you know? And so what does that do? All of a sudden, you could start getting books from other countries, from other authors. Oh, you've got a book from there? From who? From when? And so you get exposed to new ideas. And so as the printing press took off, you also had a greater communication of ideas, and then if we go even further, let's say there's the horse and carriage for a long time, but then the car gets gets invented. And then horses and carriages are kind of uh, obsolete. Of course, they then get revamped and they become some romantic gesture in New York City to go and ride the horse and carriage around all these cars flying around you. But the advancement of the car in World War II, the plane... All of these things produced more and more shifts and things having to change with how humanity did things. With the plane, all of a sudden we weren't confined to just boats to travel from continent to continent. And so all of a sudden there's flight, transatlantic flight happening. And then there's planes flying around the world. And then now there's a whole economy, a whole business structure built around flying. But with the radio, something interesting happened because the radio was a a large scale revolution, just like the Gutenberg press. Because now ideas were more available for people and you could communicate new information and news events across whole scapes of land whole landscapes, you could just say something and all of a sudden 10,000 people could hear it or more. But guess what also happened? With the invention of the radio, literacy kind of changed, didn't it? Because the communication of ideas was no longer dependent on whether or not you could read because you could listen to someone saying the news. You could listen to someone sharing a college lecture. Or a speech from a president or from a king, you know. But then move forward (laughs) to the invention of the television. Which was the merging of both sight and sound. And so you didn't have to be literate to get new information. You just watch the TV. And if you were deaf, it's okay. You could just read the lips. Because the people are right there and you can see their faces. And if you need to, maybe closed captioned as well. And so, with that technology, humanity took another shift. But also, even more recently, was it around 1990 the invention of the internet and in the very first emails? All of a sudden, communication and education just exploded. And in some ways, probably the internet is a massive, massive technological revolution that we still haven't even recognized the impact. In some ways we know, I guess, early on the positives of social media, but it took a couple years, didn't it, for us to start to recognize the potential hurdles or downsides to social media. So the internet's been a mixed bag, but guess what? So is every invention. A hammer is a mixed bag, right? You could use it to build a house or to tear one down. Okay, but with every one of these technologies, even more recently, we've got some shifts because you could say with each of these new technologies, there was a a massive shift that happened in the culture. And before the radio, we could say that we were in a pre-modern or a traditional world, yeah, where everything was communicated by traditions, by the traditions of this community or the traditions of that community or whatever's happening with the printing press. These are our books. Those are your books. That's the pre-modern or traditional worldview. But then with the radio, we have the start of what's called the modern worldview worldview and the modern one is a little different because the modern one let's think if everyone was listening to one radio station that meant everyone had one story and it wasn't quite dependent on your group and another group reading different books now both groups are probably listening to the same radio station because especially early on there was only one radio station two three four you know and so the radio was interesting because it it told a narrative that everyone would follow and not to say follow in a bad way but they would all have the same narrative about what events just happened on the news what kind of things were shared and the way it was shared would influence how your whole town would listen to and react to that radio station. Okay, that's the modern view. But then, with the invention of the television, we started to have something that's come to be known as the postmodern. It came after the modern, and so that's its title. But with the television, we not only had one channel or two channels at first, but it kind of exploded fast. And then it mattered which news channels you watched. Because there wasn't just always one radio station. And maybe there was one predominant news channel, but then there came to be more and more. And so then it became an issue of which news channels are you listening to? Which story which narrative which interpretation of the news are you paying attention to is it yours or is it mine you see the hurdles that we're starting to have and so with the modern view everyone's reacting to one story in the postmodern people are reacting to multiple stories and are probably prone to just listening to the one that resonates with them just listening to the one news channel that seems to affirm what they already know, because we all know there's such a thing as confirmation bias. But with the modern worldview, it was all about affirming what the world was. But now when you have multiple voices, all sharing a different interpretation, you almost have a culture of denying a culture of denying someone else's story and saying my story is the better story. And of course, if you've been paying attention to the past 20 years, there's been the rise of, well, that's your truth. This is my truth. And philosophy majors are correct in asking, you, well, what is the truth? <laughs> but that's a question from the modern worldview. What's the truth here? And then postmodernists would say all truth is relative. This is my truth. That's your truth. You can't tell me my truth is wrong. I really shouldn't tell you that your truth is wrong, but I'm probably going to do it anyways. That's the postmodern worldview. But then came the Internet, which in some ways kind of took the realm of TV and put it onto steroids because now any person can start a YouTube page and essentially have millions of followers just like a TV station. How about that? Isn't that wild? And so now it's almost like it just exploded. Now there's not just a few stories, there's literally millions of stories happening. And so here's what's happening. Here's what, here's what we're working towards. In the modern view, there is the truth. In the postmodern worldview, there is the negation of capital T truth by saying that there's many truths. But now, in the age of internet, which is now being called Meta Modern, thanks, Joseph Choi. Thanks for tipping me to that. The Meta Modern is saying truth has a context what that person over there says about their neighborhood is true over there and what that person over there says about their neighborhood is true in that neighborhood and so truth becomes contextual which if you're from a modern world view you would say well what does that mean that that makes no sense there's either true or not true it's like well According to your worldview or according to mine, we will both have different interpretations on the role of money. Yeah? We will have different understandings of the role of parenthood, of the role of children, of the role of community. And depending where we are and depending on our life's experiences, our opinion, our perspective is true. Okay. But all of this is still leading towards something, okay? If we're starting to lose you, I hope we're not. But we've gotten from a shift, actually kind of recently, away from postmodern into the metamodern. And here's the gist. I just want to talk about that. The postmodern worldview is one that says there is no absolute truth. The metamodern worldview says truth Things are true in their context. The speed of light is the same, no matter where you are, unless you're by a black hole. <laughs> you see, that's a meta modern type comment. And so let's let's think about this in a different way. Okay, let's flash all the way back to the original Star Wars trilogy episodes four, five, and six. Okay. You didn't see that coming, did you? But in episode four, A New Hope, Obi-Wan meets Luke Skywalker and tells him, yeah, I knew your father. And he was betrayed and murdered by Darth Vader. And so Luke all of a sudden realized the gravity. Okay, my father was murdered. But then, in episode 5, Luke finds out that Darth Vader is his father. And so he's left trying to think, Okay, uh, I have two narratives now. Before, he had only one story to interpret. Now, he's got two stories. Which one do I believe? Do I believe that Darth Vader is my father? Or do I believe that Obi-Wan said my father was betrayed and killed by Darth Vader. And then comes episode six return of the Jedi in which Obi-Wan does say, yes, your father became Darth Vader and Darth Vader killed the remnants of who he used to be. And so Obi-Wan says this brilliant comment. So what I was telling you was true from a certain point of view. And Luke bucks against that. But then even recently, this is gonna be a spoiler, I hope it isn't too bad, but we had the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which detailed the rise, in some sense, of Darth Vader and Obi-Wan meeting him back in the day. And they have this massive confrontation, they have a a massive fight, and at the end of it, Obi-Wan is essentially crying to Darth Vader because they were in deadlock fight. And at one point, Darth Vader looks up and says, you didn't kill Anakin, I did. And so then we find out that Obi-Wan was actually quoting Darth Vader. Now, all of that might seem very convoluted, but let's say it this way. The way you tell a story impacts the way that you understand truth. The way that you tell things, the way that you word things matters because from a certain point of view, one thing could be true. And from a different point of view, something else could be true. I've used this example before, but just, just like how um, from one angle, somebody might see a triangle, from another angle, somebody might see a circle. but outside of that, someone might actually be seeing a cone because a cone is both. And so are you looking at this shape in 2D or in 3D? And so context matters. Now let's bring this over to this idea of God. Okay. Because there is the traditional understanding of God and our traditions are good and they're profitable and they're helpful but they're grounded in a particular text. And that's not bad, And no way am I saying that's bad, but that's a traditional view. And so we have to ask, whose traditions are you following? This one, or from the West, or from the East, from India, from Native American, from Eskimo, to Middle Eastern, to South African? What are the traditional approaches to God? You see what I mean? And of course, the traditions can all fight against each other, trying to say which one's the better one. And so then we could also have a modernist approach to God, where we say there needs to just be one, just one text, only one tradition. Okay? Because only one tradition helps. And if everyone's on the same page, then we won't have as many fights. And then we just have to make everyone read the same tradition. I guess you could say. But then the postmodern understanding of God is is a little different. Because the postmodern view of God says all of these are valid. And I, I who am I to tell that person in South Africa that their view of God is wrong? Who am I to tell somebody from the Far East or from the Eskimo lands or from Brazil, whatever they believed down there? It's like, well, I can't. I can't tell them that their truth is wrong. That's been true for them for centuries. And so the postmodern view of God is is kind of unstable. Because which one is the right one? Which What are we doing here? What's going on? What are we supposed to do with this? And so it's very easy, I think, in the postmodern view... When there's multiple TV channels, there's multiple documentaries, there's a global mindset to say, I have no idea which God is the real God, and so I'm just gonna walk away from all of it. But that's the mistake. Because the meta modern approach towards God is more beautiful than that. Because the meta modern approach would say, it's good to have a path, have a path, take stake in a tradition, sit down in a denomination and claim it, but don't argue with the others instead while sitting in your tradition, be informed by the other traditions, learn from their wisdom. If you can, if it's helpful, bring it in. And that's a meta modern approach. It's seeking to be inclusive and it's seeking to be integrative because it's a good thing to have multiple voices happening. And so have a path. Be informed by the best of other traditions. The modernist view of God was very centered on one narrative. The postmodern approach to God was very decentered by having a multiplicity of stories. But the metamodern approach... Is one that's re-centered around one narrative, but informed by all the other narratives, by all the other stories. So that means, like, I was born and raised in the Jesus tradition, in the Jesus tradition. I bounced around in all the denominations, trying to figure out which one's the right one, who's got the best view of all of it. But honestly, as I listened to each of the denominations, but oh, I see why you say it that way. That makes sense from over you that way. And it makes sense why the Methodists would say it this way and the Baptists would say it that way, or the Catholics this way or the Eastern Orthodox that way. It makes sense. And so that's that postmodern confusion of like, well, every, every way seems like a good way. But if you take a path, that's a good thing. Be informed by all the others. I've gotten to a point where now I don't know what denomination I am because I actually am happily quoting from any one of the Christian traditions. <laughs> because if it's helpful, it's helpful. Even if it doesn't come from whatever tribe I was raised in. And so if it's helpful, bring it in. That's actually a meta modern approach. Okay, but let's let's do this. Let's go back to horses and carriages and the car. Okay. Because the horse and carriage was kind of center of life. That's how everyone got around. And then the car was invented and it, it de-centered the horse and carriage from being the center of how people did transportation. Correct. Right. But what ended up happening was that it's not that the horse and carriage went away. It was reinterpreted into a new way. And I think that's something what's happening right now. Religion has been decentered from a postmodern world that's got hundreds of truths. It's, well, which is the right one? What do we do with this? Well, we've kind of quickly found out you can't just do away with religion. You can't just do away with faith because human beings are inherently story writing creatures. We need stories to anchor our lives. And so what's happening is I think some people have started to realize they, a whole generation has walked away from faith, yet they're still reading these scriptures and they're reading these passages on their own, yeah? And they're, they're doing their own research. They're looking for the best resources on Instagram or sometimes YouTube or just some other place on the internet, reading good books. And that's good, but sometimes what you first find is the cynical stuff. You don't always find the quality stuff first. But what we're finding is a whole lot of people walked away from traditional or modern or postmodern approaches to God. Because it's it's not the technology, like our world is beyond all those things now. But we realize deep down that you can't do away with faith. You can't do away with religion because we all need it. So maybe like the horse and carriage, what needs to happen is we reinterpret it. And we reinterpret it in light of the world that we have now. And not expect us to constantly interpret the faith like how it was prior to the printing press, prior to the radio, prior to the TV, prior to the internet, prior to a global worldview, you know? The solution isn't to go backwards. The solution is to go forward, but to reinterpret the best of the old in a new way. And this is actually one of those famous, famous parables from Jesus. I think it's in Matthew. It might also happen in Luke, where Jesus tells the parable of the owner of a storehouse and that the disciple of the kingdom is like a person who goes into his storeroom and comes out of it with treasures both old and new. That someone who is deeply immersed in the tradition is actually the best person to reinterpret the tradition. That reaching deep back into the history and into the archives you can then come forward and say something brand new while being grounded in the same old and that's actually what i found out this past week that's a meta-modern approach towards religion it's not one that does away with it it's not one that says i don't even know which one to listen to because there's so many it's instead saying Let's integrate this into our lives in the best way. Let's let's take the wisdom from everywhere that we can find it and integrate it and bring it forth. And it's okay. Because just like how a horse and carriage was reinterpreted into a new way, <sighs> excuse me, oh man. Maybe what needs to happen is we need to reinterpret re-understand how do we define religion how do we define god in this new world where we have the james webb space telescope that's showing us universes trillions of miles away what do we do with our definitions of spirit when now we are in this global worldview where we can actually listen to what every tradition around the world says about spirit What do we do with these big words of like salvation or redemption, or even just grace, my God, even just love. Maybe we need to understand love in light of the world that we find ourselves now. And that's actually not a disservice to in some sense, update each of these things. What we're actually doing is taking the best of the old and integrating it with the best of the new. And let's be honest, ever since Genesis chapter one, spirit has only ever been interested in new creation, new creation, new creation, new creation, right? Not about the sustaining of the old, even if it's harmful, abusive, no longer helpful, even if it's actually holding back humanity from its next thing that needs to grow into And so what I'm really fascinated by, uh, there's this theologian named Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, who is French, obviously, but he talks about how one day there will be an ultra Christianity. One that actually merges all the traditions together. Enough of this fracturing, enough of this little tribalism and the arguing between denominations. What would happen If there was a synthesis and not just a synthesis, but a maturing of all these things, that all of these tenets of religion that are so beautiful and helpful and grounding and centering, right? What if they could be reinterpreted in light of our new world that we have now? Because spirit's not done. And Spirit's certainly pulling all of us towards a certain goal or end that is grateful, that is loving, that is truthful, that is gracious, not one that's angry and bitter and cynical and divisive. That's the old way. We're looking towards the new way. (laughs) Uh, I hope this made sense i've been doing so much thinking recently about metamodernism and i realized that as a result of finding out this term i realized oh that's actually been my project for a long time and that's why it seems as though some people look at me when I start talking, they're like, I don't know if this, this guy's Christian. He's using the same words, but he's using them in a different way. But then other people are like, yes, this is so good. He's using the same words, but in a brand new way. Holy Spirit's always about new creation. But it's new creation that stands on the shoulders of the old. It seeks to transcend and include, it seeks to take the best of the old and merge it with the best of the new. And maybe, just maybe, that's exactly where we should be heading, yeah. So that's it, that's all for today. I hope, it, I hope this one actually gave you a lot to think about. I hope it actually, hopefully inspires you to take the best of the old stuff that you were given and to merge it with the best of the new stuff. Stay on your path. Don't give up your faith. Instead, anchor further into it and be willing to reinterpret it in light of the world that you now find yourself. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So this is it. Thank you so much. May uh, grace and peace be with you uh, this week, friends. Cheers.